I know when Jacob was praying and he said, we're Brother Randall, a lot of you got your hopes up. And then, here I am. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> no, just kidding. If you have your Bibles, if you would open to Nehemiah chapter 10. Nehemiah chapter 10. If y'all would put uh, Nehemiah 9.38 on the screen, and we'll start there. Just give you a little quick background. I had preached Nehemiah chapter 8 a few weeks back. We're kind of going through the book of Nehemiah. Um, If you'll remember in this time in history, God's people had been sent off to exile for 70 years in Babylon, and they began to make their way back years later to the land of Israel and Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah, Ezra, some other people would go back and and start to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, rebuild the wall so that God's people could come back and and worship the one true God uh, with freedom and that God could bring and build back his people uh, to be a light to the nations around him. That, That was the point always with God dealing with people is that God wanted to declare his glory to the nations. And he used a group of people. And today he uses the church. Uh, the Bible says that we are to be a light in the darkness. That our lives should be set apart. And Israel was to be that way in the Old Testament. But as you'll read throughout history, they would seem to fail in that. And, and God knows that as we strive to live lives that are honoring and pleasing to him, that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to fail time to time. Uh, throughout the nation of Israel, there was people who would rise up and, and they would live for the Lord and they would be bold and, and there would be a revival. But then human nature would set in and they would begin to be disobedient. They would begin to stray away from the Lord and, and he would allow them to be um, handed over to their own sin and their own devices so that because the Bible tells us that God disciplines who he loves and he loves his children. So sometimes they had to be disciplined. They had to be corrected to bring them back. It wasn't uh, because God is a mean, angry God, but he loves his people and he wanted what was best for them. And so you see this happening here, and God brings these people back. And we read in Nehemiah chapter 8 how these people that come back from Babylon had lived in a culture that was total anti-God. They had lived totally separate, different than God had intended them to live. And so they began to read God's word. And we saw that. A few weeks back how in Nehemiah chapter 8, their their minds were blown off of the things that they read from God's word. And and it caused a response in their lives. And sadly today, I mean, I, I want you to understand that we see people today who profess to be Christians. That they've been washed by the blood of Jesus, yet there's been no change in their lives. And if that's the case uh, in what you understand as salvation, you don't have what the Bible speaks of. Because it's, it's evident in Scripture and it's evident in our lives that when we meet Jesus, that 
the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us, it changes your life. Not out of obligation, not out of tradition or religion, but out of a response to the goodness of God. Just like that song said, because even though we can be disobedient, God is always faithful. And that's what was taking place here. And in Nehemiah chapter 9, this was a response in prayer of God's goodness in their lives. They prayed and they said, God, even though we have been disobedient as a nation, we have been disobedient as your people, we have been disobedient as individuals, you were always faithful. And it's a wonderful prayer. I I pray that you would go back and read Nehemiah chapter 9. But then at the end of this chapter, this one I want to focus in on today, I want you to look at their response. And this should be a response to Christians today who've been washed by the blood of Jesus, who've been changed. It says in Nehemiah 9.38, And because of all of this, because we were disobedient, we strayed away, but you were always faithful to us. Because of all of this, we make a sure covenant and we write it. Our leaders, the Levites, the priests, and we seal it. What these people did was they come together. And they said, we're going to enter into a covenant. They were already in a covenant. This was, this was a commitment to honor the covenant they were already under. They said, we're going to rededicate ourselves to you. Out of response, not out of obligation. And here, here's what I want you to understand. We're no longer under the law. So when you read things like this, I don't want you to get me wrong that we have to try to strive to obtain something. We've already obtained it through the blood of the cross. But I want you to understand that when you have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, it should cause a response in your life. And these people realized this. They said, because, not what we did, because they acknowledged that they had done wrong. They had not acknowledged that they had drifted away and they had failed, but God never failed. I mean, God was always faithful to bring them back. And they said, because you have been faithful, because you are good to us, we now want to commit our lives to be honoring and pleasing to you. See, we have today where, yes, we're saved by grace through faith. And Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Our lives, we should still strive to live a life honoring and pleasing to the Lord. As a true believer in Christ, we are to be called, we are called to be set apart. And I want you to read and, and along with me some, some things that they commit themselves and their lives to that I believe that we could uh, apply to our lives today because I think we all need help in these certain areas. And rededicate ourselves as Christians to be set apart. To be righteous and holy. Not because of what we've done. But because of what Christ has done for us. That we should strive to live that way. And to be a light to this world. And I'll read here in chapter 10 verse 28. Now through from 938 on down. It just gives a list of the names of the people. That they would come together. All together as one, as the leaders and all of the people there. And they would write this contract, this commitment. And that's what I'm calling this message. A promise or a commitment to honor God. 
And that's what they were going to do. Out of response, they said, Lord, you have been faithful to, to us, so we want to be faithful to you with our lives. We want to live for you. And so they, they bind together a document. And they have signers sign it, the leaders, and they all come together as one this, to hold each other accountable in their lives. And they said, we're going to make a promise. We're going to make a covenant that we all are agreeing that we want to live and strive to live for the Lord in our lives. This is almost kind of like what we would call, it's not the exact same, but this is kind of the purpose of church membership today. It's agreeing a public profession that, hey, we want to live our lives together with one purpose with you, and, and, and we're here signing this, we're agreeing that we are going to hold each other accountable. That's the, that's the point, that we all have a part of this, that we all become like family, and they were in unity here. And so they gather together, they sign these documents, and then they write in chapter 10, verse 28, it says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, Nethahim, whatever that is, and all of those who separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and everyone who had knowledge and understanding. Now, I want you to notice how everyone that was there that was of an appropriate age to understand the goodness of God, what God had done in their lives, they were there together as family in unity, agreeing that we are going to be held accountable by each other and by this covenant, this relationship that we're entering into, and What takes place here is the first thing they said is that they had separated themselves from the rest of the world. Now, this isn't to be separate to where they didn't have any dealings with the rest of the world, the lost around here. We are called to be light into the darkness, to go into the darkness. But this was a separation of how they would live their lives. That they wouldn't live their lives as believers the, the way the rest of the world lived their lives. That they would be different. That they would be the salt of the earth. You know, Christians today, sadly, we get this idea that when we become believers that we involve ourselves in the rest of the world in the way that they conduct themselves, that we are to be... I want you to, trying to make sure that I use the right wording. We are to be friendly. We are to be kind and loving to all people. But we are not to bind ourselves together in relationship with the lost. We are called to witness to them, but to not to involve ourselves in the same things that they do. Matter of fact, that's how... Throughout history, how the nation of Israel, and sadly even today, how Christians and how believers strayed away from the Lord, was involving themselves in the things of the world. And so they separated themselves. And then they wrote in verse 29, And these joined together, the brethren, the nobles, and they entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses the servant, and to observe all 
and do all the commandments of the Lord our God or our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. That's a weird word to say. They entered into a, an oath and a curse. But here's what the, the wording means. Here's what they were saying. That we're, we're making an oath. We're binding this contract to be held accountable. And if we don't hold up to our end of the deal, let us be a curse. Let it go bad upon us. That's how serious they took it. That's how serious they took God's word. They said, there's going to be repercussions if we're not holding up to our end of the deal. And let me tell you today, there is consequences for sin, even as believers. Believers can choose to sin if they want. And we will from time to time. We will fail. But we should strive to live set apart and strive not to be involved in the things that we once were. We should strive to live a holy life. We're going to fail from time to time. And I hate this when I hear people say all the time, well, I sin every day. As a believer, we shouldn't sin every day. Now, we will fail, we will fall, but we should strive to live a life pleasing and honoring to the Lord. And when we do fall, we should repent of that. We should go to God's word and say, Lord, and we should go to him in prayer and say, Lord, I need strength in this area. And we should take the proper steps to get out of that sin. Sometimes we are subject to these things because we put ourselves in the situations we shouldn't be in. And so they were going to be set apart. They were going to get out of these situations. And they said, we're going to enter into this oath and we're going to take it serious. That there's going to be consequences. See, today we don't have that in church. I mean, can you imagine if you were going to join the church today anywhere over the United States? They're like, all right, we want you to sign this. Once you sign this document, you're agreeing to this. And if you don't live by this, there's going to be consequences to pay. That's what they were entering into. That's how serious they took it. I imagine churches today would be different if we took church membership this way. We wouldn't be so quick to leave. And, oh, well, you know what? I don't like the music. Or I don't like what the pastor said. And we go over here because they don't take it serious. It's the same way with marriages. When you, when you profess, it takes it to another level. When you make a public profession, it's binding contract. It's legal. It's a lot harder to get out of. And sadly, people today don't take marriages serious. That's why they just jump from one to another. We've all been there. I'm not condemning anybody, but this isn't how Christians should live. And that's what they were saying. They were taking it serious. <clears throat> and then they say, we are making a commitment. And all believers should make this commitment that we want to live by your word. Now, this is a broad view. And they say, we want to live by all of your word, not just some of your word. See, Christians today say, we have no problem living by God's word, the, the ones that we agree with. The commands and the laws that we agree with, that we like, uh, that make us feel good. And then we want to debate and divide over all the others. They said, no, we want to live by all of God's word. We don't want to pick and choose. If God's word says it, we should do it. Now, again, we're not under the law. We don't honor some of the same things, but the principles are still there. The principles of the commandments are still there. And you're going to see that here. And we can apply that to our lives. But Christians should strive to live by God's word. If all Christians live by God's word, we wouldn't have the divisions and everything that we have today. We wouldn't have the people coming in and going and leaving the church because they said, oh, well, you know, these people... They profess this on Sunday, but then they live a different way on Monday. God's people should live by his word. 
And then he gives these lists of specific ways or things that they want to honor God. And the reason I, I believe that they pull these few things out specifically is because these were the ones that they struggled with the most. And we need to do that same. And I think it applies to us today because it's things that we struggle with today. And so I want to give you this list. Number one, in chapter 10, verse 30. Let me get to mine. They wanted to honor God with their family. In verse 29, it says, They joined together with all the brethren, the nobles, and entered into this curse or this oath to walk in all of God's ways. And then in verse 30, it says, And here are some ways we're going to do it. We will, to, we will not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. Now, here's what I want you to understand how, about this. Is this has been used... In times past, maybe, and it's pulled out of context. And, and this is definitely what it's not about, about nationality or race. This is about purity of, of faith. In 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18, Paul says that believers in Christ should not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This isn't about nationality or race or where you come from or background. This is, do you believe what we believe? And parents, I want to encourage you that you should be raising your children to look, not just for a good person, not to just go on a date to see if they've got a good personality or that they've got a good family or, or a good job or for just for looks, but that they find someone who loves Jesus. And that's what this is all about. They said, what they were doing is they had said, we had kind of gotten lax in this area. And they started marrying into other religion. Other people, other nations, pagans of the world who had idol worship. This is what happened to Solomon. Remember the wisest man. He starts for, for benefit in business. And, and in all of these ways, he starts to have all of these wives who brought in pagan worship and they led his heart astray from, from God. And that's what happened. See, we, as, and I'll tell you as, as young kids or, or young teenagers, we always get this idea, now we'll, we'll, we'll change them, right? I mean, they're a good person and they say they believe in God, right? But they ha when you start asking them the hard questions, you realize they're not true believers. They've never been changed by the blood of the Lamb. But we'll, we'll, we'll be the influence on them. And we'll change them. If the wisest man on the, ever lived couldn't, neither can you. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, we're going to separate. We're going to dedicate ourselves. Listen, raise your kids to find someone who loves Jesus. Do not be unequally yoked. And this doesn't only apply to Marriages, but it applies to toxic relationships. This talks about, Paul says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? That we shouldn't be bound together, fellowship in fellowship. This doesn't mean that we, again, that we don't 
befriend, that we don't witness, and that we don't love others. But that we should not be in intimate relationship with unbelievers. We should be called to be set apart. Because what does it say in Proverbs? Bad company corrupts good morals. Be careful who you befriend. Be careful who you allow your children to be around. Houses that you allow them to go to. Friends that you allow to come over. Places that you go and involve yourselves in. And that you support with your time, with your finances and your resources. Things that you are involved in at work, at schools and all of these other things. Be careful what you involve yourself in. Because the Bible is clear that the devil roars around or is seeking whatever the words are. You know what I'm talking about. He wants to steal your kids away. He wants to steal you away from the Lord. And the second thing is honoring God with their time. In verse 31 it says, If the people of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on a Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we would forgo the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. See, what was taking place here is the people of the world, the rest of the world, they didn't, they didn't esteem one day above another. They didn't care to have one day set apart of rest to worship God, to spend with their family. It was just another day to make money. Does that sound like a nation that we're living in today? It's just another day, right? Used to businesses all over. All over the United States of America, businesses were shut down. On Sunday. Because it was a time to give the families to spend together and to go worship the Lord. To reflect on His goodness. Now, I'm not telling you to esteem one day higher than the other. Paul says for you to be convinced of that. We're not going to argue on that. But what I am saying is that New Testament believers need to take time to worship the Lord. We need to set apart a day to bring there. We should worship Him all day, every day. But there's a time when we gather together and we worship in corporate worship. Resting from our labors. Giving thanks of what God has already provided. It goes on down and talks about all of these things. You know, the Bible says to not forsake the assembling together of ourselves. We should be gathering together, worshiping the Lord together, in resting that God is going to provide. See, when we do that, we make a statement. And I heard one preacher say this, and I like this statement, so I'm going to use it. He says, when we gather together and we rest and we trust in that day, instead of when we could have been like the rest of the world and we could just make money, we got to go, 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 go. But we're going to rest. And we're going to trust in the Lord. When we do that, what we're saying is six days with the Lord are better than seven without. That's what we're doing. We're making a statement saying we're going to trust in the Lord. We're going to rest in Him that He's going to provide. Because it ain't about what we can do anyway. And we need to rest and give our time. We need to dedicate time to the Lord. You need to dedicate time as believers. Set a time apart to rest in Him, to trust in Him. To thank Him for what He's done. Set a time apart to read His Word. Set a time apart for prayer. You know, we just want to 
And it's okay to pray to the Lord throughout your day and all of that. But when we get so busy and consumed by the things of this world, we, we look up and we've forgotten. And, and we look up and it's been days since we've opened the Bible. I'm guilty myself. You get so busy with work, you get so busy providing and taking care of your family and doing all the things that are great, but you forgot to set apart them times. And that's what this time is for. That's what, so I just want to encourage you in that, to rededicate that, to set apart them times to worship the Lord. And the third thing that I want you to look at in verse 32, and it says, And we also made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel. We're talking about finances now. Nobody wants to talk about that, do we? Y'all want to skip that part? You know, that's the last thing we want to do is a, a preacher or a pastor get up here and say, Give me your money. We need your money. We don't need that. We believe that God's going to provide. You hardly ever hear Randall preach on money or any of that because he works. He takes care of his family. We all do. But the reality is it takes money to spread the gospel. It takes money for you to be able to come here in this building and worship the Lord. There's others. We understand there's people who run businesses. There's people who have all this stuff that they they have obligations And we understand that your resources and your money are crucial to you and that you work hard for that. And you shouldn't give out of obligation. You shouldn't. We shouldn't have to get up here for five, ten minutes and say, you need to give this much, this tenth, and you need to tithe and do all these things. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. It should be upon your heart. It says, let every man give what's been placed upon his heart. If you don't have a giving heart, I ask, do you know the Lord? Because he was the most giving person to ever live. And that's what we should do. We should be willing to spread the gospel with our resources. We should fund the ministry. That's not just giving to the church. That's funding the ministry. Spreading the gospel. Whether that's in missionaries. Whether that's in tithes. Whether that's in whatever it may be. They give a whole list of giving their first fruits. They said, we've got to provide the sacrifices. We've got to provide the wood for the sacrifices. And guess what they did? If you'll read on down, they said, we're going to cast lots. Each family is going to have a part in it. Every family who comes and is bound under this contract or this commitment are going to have stock in it. Because when you have stock in it, right, you have a commitment to it, you have ownership in it. And you're going to want to take part of it. And that's what the point of it was. And it takes that. It takes all of us to be able to fund the gospel and spread the gospel around the world in all different types of ministries. And God's people need to get back to having a given heart. Not just with finances. See, some people are real easy to give their finances and throw money at it. But they fail to give their time. They fail to give their service. See, in these lists, it's not just about them giving their money. It's about giving their time. It's dedicating their families. It's dedicating service to the ministry. Everyone is involved and should be involved in ministry. Promoting the gospel. Wherever that may be, we have all different talents. We have all different resources. But everyone should be involved in it. And you should have a heart to want to do that.
And then lastly, I want you to look in verse 39, and I'll close with this. I know it's probably pretty short. But they give this list, and then they drop down in verse 39, and I just want to look at the last part of verse 39. And it says, and we, and they end it here as a statement, and we will not neglect the house of our God. Now, you know one big difference between Old Testament here and New Testament believers is we don't have a specific place or building where God dwells that we have to come to to worship. The Bible says that you and me as believers are the temple or the dwelling place of God. When we gather together, we are the church. Together, gathered here. Now we have a building and we gather together in one specific place to come and worship. And there is a necessity in that. And we should not neglect the resources that God has blessed us with. We should take care of this place. God's blessed us with this. We should be able to bless others with it. There's people who come and use this for for weddings. They come and use it for events. They have a school that happens here. On the weekdays, if you drive by here on Tuesdays, you're going to see a bunch of kids running around here. And that's a, that's a blessing that God has given us to have this place. And that, call, that costs money. It does. And we are blessed to have that. But here's what I want you to focus on. It says we are not going to neglect the house of God or where God dwells. So many people here, I've said this before many times, how many of you... We may have bad habits in our lives, and I'm not condemning you if you do. But many of us, we may have bad habits. But when we come in this building, we won't use them bad habits. We won't smoke the cigarettes, drink the alcohol, do all the stuff. We won't throw trash all over the floor in this building like it has some significance. Why? Because we want to honor God's house. But yet we go out and defile God's temple with sin. See, this is what I want you to focus on. It says we are not going to neglect the house of God. We're talking about our own bodies. See, a lot of times Christians want to debate and argue over what's sin and what's not sin. What you can get away with. What's okay and what's not. We want to ride that line and argue and divide over. But it goes back to this. Paul says, whatever you do. Whatever you drink, whatever you eat, how you conduct yourselves needs to be for the glory of God. So if there's something in your life that you can go, can I honor and glorify God with this? And if you can't, you need to get it out. Adrian Rogers used to say all the time, we need to do some temple maintenance on this place. That's, that's, that's what they end this with. That we're going to make this... We're going to make this commitment that we're going to honor God in our family, in our time, in our resources, and in our own bodies. And I want to read you a scripture in 1 Corinthians six nineteen. It says, I won't even read it all, but it says, Paul says that we should honor God with our bodies and our spirits. So this isn't just a physical thing, and it's not just a spiritual thing. It's together in unity. 
We should take care of what God's blessed us with. Just like this building, you should take care of yourself. You should eat healthy. Yep, I said it. You should eat healthy. You should take care of yourself. You should exercise. You should do the best with what God's blessed you with. The best that you can. We're all going to die. So don't waste your life on just trying to live longer. Right? But you should take care of what God has blessed you with. And same thing with your spiritual life. We need to exercise our spiritual lives. We need to take care of ourselves. How do you get in better shape physically? You eat right. You exercise. Well, how do you get in shape spiritually? You eat right and you exercise. You partake of God's word. You spend time around other believers. You serve the Lord. You spend time in prayer. You know, if you'll ever notice about anything, how they use these together, and I love how he uses this together physically and spiritually because it's real hard to get in shape physically. It takes a long period of time. It takes 90 days even to create a habit. But it don't take but a couple of days to get out of shape. Remember how a lot of you work all year long and then the holidays come. You work real hard to get in shape and then holidays come and there's that stretch where you stop working out, you stop taking care of yourself, and before you know it, you're back in the shape when you began. Back to that old shape. And that's how it is with our spiritual lives as well. We go weeks without reading God's Word and we realize we're far from Him. Amen? So if you would stand with me this morning. And I just want to encourage you. I don't want to condemn anybody in any way or offend anybody. Sometimes God's Word is convicting. These people were convicted when they read God's Word. And they said, you know what? We want to honor God with our lives. Christians today, sadly, people are falling away from the church. Children are straying away and not ever coming back because... There's a lack of commitment of God's people to live by His Word. This is why we, we are labeled certain ways. Because we, we claim to believe one thing, but yet we live and our lives reflect another. And we need to get back to this principle and make that rededication to the Lord and say, we want to live by Your Word. It's never too late. These people, many of them were late in life. They said, it's never too late. We're going to honor God with the way we live so that we can be a light to our families, to our children, to the people around us, and to this world. And turn them to the Lord. Amen. God, we love you and we pray.